This episode of the Kettle and Cup podcast is brought to you by us. That's right. We don't have any sponsors yet, but we're going to start looking for some. So if you're interested in sponsoring the Kettle and Cup podcast, get in touch with us. Facebook.com slash Kettle and Cup. PorterNotes.com. Kettle N. It's the letter N. K-E-T-T-L-E-N. Cup. C-U-P. At gmail.com. All right, let's get started. Hey everybody, this is Alex, and I would like to thank you all for finding your way over to our new podcast site, Porter Notes Podcast, which is the new home of the Kettle and Cup Podcast, of which this is a new episode. This episode of the Kettle and Cup Podcast contains an interview which I've conducted with the one and only Matthew Nigren, a.k.a. Torch. EDM artist, author, supporter of the arts, all-around cool guy. I hope that you enjoy the interview that I have with Matt. I think it was pretty revealing. Yeah, I guess revealing is a good way to put it. I've known Matt for a number of years now, and it was nice to sit down and talk, get some insight into the man behind the music. I have to admit, I don't really have much EDM knowledge. However, I do appreciate most, (laughs) most forms of music, and I can get behind Torch and what he's doing. It's really great stuff. So I hope that you enjoy the interview with Matt Nigren. Before I get to that, I'd like to do just a little bit of housekeeping. Again, a reminder that all of our podcasts, Kettle and Cup podcast, the America Land podcast, This is the home for that stuff now, right here, Porter Notes Podcast. You can find it at porternotes.com, Apple iTunes, uh, Podbean is where we're hosting it from, so if you are a Podbean fan, here's what you need to know. Just go on over to porternotes.com, you'll see all of the things that we've got going on at any given time. It's a great way to stay in touch with us as well. You can email us at kettle and cup, K E T T L E N as in Nancy, C U P at gmail.com. We, we love to hear from you. So please feel free to stay in contact with us and let us know what's going on in your lives. We are still using Facebook, uh, the Facebook page, facebook.com slash kettle and cup. That's a great way to see what's going on as well. But really, we're just kind of focusing on getting stuff out right now so yeah it's great and we've been enjoying the podcast if you if you are a fan of any of the previous ones let your friends and family know about them i know podcasting is relatively new for some people although podcasting has been around for quite some time it's really only starting to catch on for a lot of people for the vast majority of people i guess i should say so feel free to let people know how they can get to our podcast and how they can listen and let us know what you think. Send us an email, uh, comment on the things that we have on Facebook, whatever it takes to get through to us. We would love to hear from you. So, okay, enough about us for the moment. Just remember that after the interview, there is a little wrap up 
session between Lori and I, so stick around for that as well. Here is my interview with Matt Nigren. I know that you just did a performance at the Ridiculous Art Crawl. Yes. That was on the 26th, right? Mm-hmm. Where were you at? Uh, Walnut Street, I think it is, or they blacked off the uh, one-way um, by Greenwoods. Okay. Yeah, that and, is Walnut. Okay. So, uh, yeah, they blacked that off and put up a stage there and um, had several performers, and I was the last one of the night. Oh, you closed the show? Yes. Nice. Yes. And so was it well-received, do you think? Yes. Um, In a way, this one kind of shocked me because this was uh, an experiment for me writing. I mean, I guess all of this has been an experiment, but I've been mostly writing in one genre or um, focusing more on the electronic music side of things. This Mm -hmm. one was mostly sample-based where it was taking different sound sources and uh, the way I like to explain it is like how a mosaic artist will take a piece of pottery and smash it, mm-hmm. then take all the um, individual pieces and rearrange it into a new new piece of artwork. Um, that's why I was doing with these samples is I was taking samples from different sound sources, be it uh, drums um or uh some chords being played on a piano um and then chopping them up and then rearranging them into a new piece of music completely and uh so that was the experiment i came up with i think it was around 23 24 different songs about 3 minutes a piece figured that it'd last about over an hour long and it's interesting to see the audience response because i thought most of them would just you know kind of uh listen to the music uh politely but um that wasn't the case there was a lot of head nodding um there was a guy that was dancing and a few more people joined him later on and it was interesting to me to see that um Again, I I don't really consider that type of music dance worthy, but people were loving it in that way. But so, how are you obtaining your samples? Um, mostly from uh, sample packs that you can buy online, mm-hmm. which are royalty free. Um, I have a few websites like Loopmasters.com or ADSR Sounds. Um, dot com that I like to buy sample packs from, mm-hmm. and then I'll just randomly okay, I like the name of this one. Let's see what it sounds like. Then uh, I'll go from there, chopping it up, rearranging it, and uh, it's only a few times have I actually used uh stuff off of vinyl. So directly off of vinyl. Directly off of vinyl. Um, so like finding, finding the source material 
like I mean, if you're sampling drums, you're finding that that originally recorded mm-hmm. vinyl copy. Yes. Wow, that's that's pretty uh that's quite a challenge. Yes. Well, first you have to find uh vinyl that has nothing but the drums right. in one section, which is, you know, sometimes uh happy um just listening to a record uh, i had a friend of mine that sent me because abby uh, my daughter mm-hmm. uh, she's huge into queen mm-hmm. right now and so he sent me some queen albums that uh, he had and uh, i was listening to it with abby and one of the songs um geez i can't remember the name of the album now um but the last song on side b the the song started off with a with just drums mm-hmm. and i was thinking oh i have to sample that so sure. then you can then put it into the software that i use and separate out the kick snare hi-hats and then you can then come up with a whole new beat wow so it's 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 old school sampling Yes. But it's using the technology to actually make something entirely new even out of the sample itself. Exactly. So like uh, another example of that is um, I've been going to, well, I bought a a record player and I've been going over to the Spin Shack in Baraboo Mm -hmm. and just randomly buying records mostly just looking at the title i have no idea what it is so so going into it blind not yes. even doing any research ahead of time where i'm i'm sure correct me if i'm wrong there's probably some sort of resource that tells you this drum beat was sampled from originally this performer yes but um, not even re- not even using that not until after the fact hmm. um so there is a site called whosample.com okay you can look up any song, most mostly any song. Um, there's a lot, a lot of songs people just don't realize that were completely made out of samples or have a sample in it. So you can look up a song and see if they actually sampled it or not hmm. from a different source. Um, so I use that after I buy the album and I listen to it and think, okay, well this is. This may be good. So then I'll go to whosample.com and actually look up the album. And sometimes I find, yes, it's been sampled before, mostly in hip-hop records. Mm -hmm. Um, And other times I find, no, it hasn't been sampled. Hmm. So then I think, okay, no one's done it yet. Here's my shot. So... um, how much how much of the sample do you do you need? How much of it, since you're able to deconstruct it, and of course I'm speaking of, of seconds, uh, you know, how much of, of the sample of it do you need in order to actually create something out of it? Um, no more than 15 usually. Really? Um, it depends on how long the phrase is and how many chords you want to use. Mm-hmm. Um, the example I was going to give was, um, I was, I bought a Barry Manilow record. Okay. It was a 45 single of Mandy, mm-hmm. I think it was. And I only wanted the first 10 seconds of the beginning piano part of that. Okay. And so I recorded that in, chopped it up, pitched it down, reversed parts of it, and then made a completely new piece of music out of it. 
and then added some drums that a friend of mine sent to me. Mm-hmm. And I chopped those up as well. So I rearranged the pattern completely. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't even know where I got the piano from. Interesting. So, yeah, that that's that's the fun of it in a way. And you, you think most musicians, they'll pick up their guitar, mm-hmm. they'll just start jamming mm-hmm. and come up with a song. Um, that's how I go about writing music as well. I'll sit in front of my synthesizer or keyboard, just noodle until I come up with something that sounds good. So this mm-hmm. is... This is uh, totally new for me in that the source material's already there. I'm not coming up with it, except that I tried to find some way to make it different than what it was, and hopefully in a way that nobody knows where it came from. And utilizing vinyl, you're retaining the snaps and the crackles. Yes, and therefore why... Um, this genre is called lo-fi beats Hmm. because low fidelity, you want that crackle, that hiss and all that. And so are you incorporating any of these synth lines or the keyboard lines that you're coming up with then on your own as well? Sometimes, um, just to add some flourish Mm -hmm. over the top. I usually try to find just one sample that I'm going to then... Um, create a whole song around Mm -hmm. and uh, including the drums as well and then I'll come up with my own bass line Um, and it's not always using synths Mm -hmm. it's sometimes using sampled instruments Mm -hmm. so they'll have sample libraries of just guitars basses pianos um, pretty much just like how any electronic keyboard runs sure you know, they're, they're all samples that are inside the keyboard and they're split across the keyboard so that you can play different notes with those samples. Mm-hmm. So I'm using the exact same thing inside my computer to then, uh, you know, you, uh, come up with a bass line or um, piano parts. Um, but yeah, I have been trying because, you know, I am a synth head if you can... S- See my shirt here says, Lord, forgive me for my sins. <laughs> um, given to me by my good friend, Eben. Um, I love synthesizers, so I do try to incorporate some type of synth sounds into these beats. So this, this, this style of music that you're talking about, this lo-fi style, which sounds as though it would be uh, conducive to old school synths and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned, though, that, that it was a surprise to you. You didn't have any expectation for anybody to dance to this music. Right. So what is the, what is the MO for this style? What is it that this style brings to the table? Oh, geez. You know, I really don't know because I, like I said, I'm just experimenting with it. Mm-hmm. it it's a style that... Um, I knew kind of about for a long time, but never really delved into it. Um, There's a whole history going back. I could give you the whole story of how I came across it. Um, So is it more of an an, an ambient music then? Just something to to listen to? You know, um, right now, it's really weird. If you go onto YouTube and look up Mm -hmm. lo-fi beats... 
it's usually under um, relaxation type music or mm. homework type music. Okay. People love listening to it when they're trying to study mm-hmm. or do something. They like having it in the background. It helps them concentrate. Um, so that's why I say I didn't really expect people to dance. Mm-hmm. And um, yes, it is. It's a derivative of hip hop music. So yeah, um, hip hop. You go to a hip hop show, people are going to be bouncing up and down. Sure. Um, so yeah, there there is that part of it that um, is included in this genre. You're using kind of like hip hop based drums, mm-hmm. but it is a little more relaxed, more chill, and that's what we kind of build it as that mm-hmm. this was going to be a a chill set. So. I just did not expect people to be bopping their heads the way you would at a hip hop show, but people were and they loved it. And so, so this be it. this style of music that you're that that you just um, started to get into now are was this for this one off performance or are you now starting to get a little bit deeper into it? It was really. Um, Two two things got me started on it. Mm-hmm. Curiosity, mm-hmm. Um, because I have a friend. He he. This is what he did um, since my college days. I didn't know he was doing this while we were both at college together. Okay. Um, but uh, you know, Facebook came and sure. you you got the uh, the reunion page there mm-hmm. and uh, so we caught back up and uh, he's still doing it he's still using the same piece of gear that he bought back in 1998 mm-hmm. um, to make this music and it just piqued my interest and I wanted to learn more about it because it's just really it's one more subgenre of the whole electronic music scene. And there are so many genres of electronic music, and I've been trying to study them all. The other thing that I was trying to do with this is that they say if you have writer's block, Mm -hmm. go learn a new genre and see if you can try to make it. That's great advice. Yes. And so it may help you learn something new that then you can apply to the genre that you write, or you just might find you love that. and. It's kind of what happened, you know, it's, it's both helped me creatively, but it's also given me a new avenue to explore. Did you have an, an interest in this kind of music in the late nineties? No. In fact, here's how it kind of came full circle for me is that, um, back then I had no clue that this was a genre of music for one or that people were using equipment like this to make music. Mm-hmm. Now, 99, I believe, is when the first Matrix movie came out. Okay. And there was a song in the red dress scene. Uh, if people remember that scene from the movie where they're in the Matrix, they're testing um, Neil to see if he'll react to the lady in the red dress. Okay. In the background, there's a song playing. Mm-hmm. called uh, Club to Death by a guy named um, Rob Duncan, or Duggan. I think I'm saying that right. In the movie, it was just, or on the soundtrack, it says Rob D. And uh, I loved that song instantly. And I thought 
that it was all written with synthesizers and drum machines Mm -hmm. at that time. And I had a synthesizer in college. It was my very first synth, a Roland XP-10. And I tried recreating that song using my synthesizer and could not get anywhere near it. Hmm. Fast forward to maybe just a few years ago when I started getting into electronic music and researching it, I finally found out why I could never recreate it because Rob D used an Akai sampler Hmm. and I'd say about 90% of that song is all samples off of old vinyl. Hmm. And that's, why I couldn't recreate it because the drums had a very special sound. Sure. And then if you go to whosample.com and find out where he got those drums from, of course, you're not going to get that same sound out of a synthesizer because it came from a funk record. Hmm. So um, it's got a very, you know, funky feel. There's some swing to it. So, yeah. So at this point... At this point in your life, here in 2019, you're deconstructing the same way you are the music. You're deconstructing your musical taste as well, yes. musical history as well. Yes. So you had a synthesizer in your college days. Did you take piano lessons, or did you just plunk around on your own, or did you? How did you come about? Uh, how did how did music come into your life? Well, I've always been interested in music. Um, we had a piano in our house growing up. My dad had guitars. Um, so I was always sitting in front of the piano trying to teach myself, um, when college came about, oh, and I should also mention that, uh, computers were always in our house as well. Hmm. And the very first computer program, music program that I used was called a mod tracker. Okay. And the, I can't say that I'm familiar with that. Yes. Very ancient, ancient technology. Um, you can look it up on the internet. I would suggest anyone listening to this, go look up mod trackers and you're going to go down a whole nother rabbit hole. Um, but that was my first um, time using computers to write music with. Then um, I bought some notation software, which it's basically like a word processing program, except that you have um, a staff, a music staff in front of you, and then you just mouse in the notes. Okay. So that, that was my next foray into writing music with computers. And you're about how old at this time? Um, high school. Okay. Um, I'd say sophomore-ish. And and so the musical instruments were in the house because your dad played. Um, my mom played piano. My dad played guitar. Okay, obviously not not the path that that you took because generationally that's that's how it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, was there any credence to your interest in in broadening your horizon musically, or was that fostered, or was it a situation where you just kind of did it on your own and and forged your own path? It's a little bit of both because, yes, I, I, I was the first one in my family to try to write music with computers. Um, and then fast forward to college. When I went off to college, I actually went to college to begin with as a music major. Hmm. So my mom thought you're going to need, because uh, piano lessons were mandatory in college. Okay. 
my mom thought I was going to need something to practice on in my dorm room. So she was the one that bought my first synthesizer. Me, I did not know at the time exactly what this thing was. I just thought, okay, it makes a piano sound. I'll be able to um, practice my piano on it. Sure. Well, uh, the synthesizer that she bought me, the Roland XB-10, uh, which I recently reacquired one on eBay because this instrument has so much nostalgia for me mm -hmm. um, that I had to have it again. Probably within the first few weeks of having the synthesizer in college, my whole world just opened up. So it's um, like seeing seeing uh, color for the first time. Yes. Yes. Because I thought, okay, this is great because um, it just seemed that no one was ever interested in helping me write, you know, like a band type mm -hmm. situation where everyone's giving input and we're all making this music together. Um, the music I was wanting to write and the music everybody else was wanting to write were two different things. Sure. So it always seemed like I was doing this on my own. And so having uh, an instrument that could play 16 different parts, um, that I just started doing that. And I would use uh, the notation software uh, to do that with. And um, I would get, you know, I, I would still remember this guy who would yell into my room. He'd say, Hey, Yanni, <laughs> stop it for a minute, you know, because. You know, we had our dorm rooms, uh, the the doors were open and everyone could hear me blaring this this music that I was writing on my synthesizer. Sure. Um, so, yeah, they would get sick of me real quick. But. Were you inspired at that time by what was considered new age music? Um, not really. And that, I don't know why he yelled that in there. Probably because it was just a funny name. Yeah. You know. No one appreciated what I was doing at that time. Um, I was trying to write more like uh, like uh, 80s metal type sounding mm. stuff, but more orchestrated. You know, I was huge into heavy metal at that time in college, huge into just driving rock music. Um, and th at that time, I had no interest at, in writing what people would call electronic music. Sure. Well, um, it, it wasn't it wasn't an avenue that you were familiar with yet. Right. Um, and I tell people this, you know, electronic music to me back in the 90s was, you know, rhythm is a dancer or mm -hmm. what is love. Um, very commercial pop sounding stuff that I just couldn't get into. Sure. Um, and I did not know, even in those times, that there was more genres of electronic music out there. Mm -hmm. I mean, I kind of knew about industrial, um, because you have Nine Inch Nails. Mm -hmm. um, I knew about that, but I did not know that there were other genres of electronic music. So I just dismissed it all, really. Sure. Um, then I discovered Pink Floyd and Dark Side of the Moon, and then Pink Floyd just became my life, and Radiohead and Pearl Jam, and so those were my musical 
inspirations and what I wanted to aspire to. So I just continued trying to write that type of music. Well, Pink Floyd to Radiohead is a, I mean, there's a, there's a definite connection. Um, if, if, if for the truists who, uh, who don't care for any Pink Floyd past the final cut, or maybe even the wall, really, um, you could very easily uh, feel comfortable going into Radiohead then after that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's reasonable. Now you uh, you have two brothers, right? Yes. Neither of them got into any sort of music. Not really. Um, so there was there was not a, a a kindred spirit at home. I mean, you had your parents who were more instructional. Yeah. But there wasn't a a brother that that was like you know. You know, I'm thinking in terms of like Jimmy Vaughn and Stevie Ray Vaughn, like where one right. has an instrument and the other one is sneaking it or something like that, and then they're teaching each other that sort of thing. Not really. I mean, my older brother kind of dabbled with guitar, but he didn't take it as serious as me. Mm-hmm. His thing was magic. Oh, yeah. And uh, does he still do magic? Uh, if you ask him to, yes, ah. he would. Um, so and- he's he's not like he's not like magic ryan who's off doing magic places he's just like if you hit him up he's got the deck of cards in his pocket yeah he used to be like wanting to take that path um but uh has since then done his done other things he's just had other interests since then and uh but growing up that was his thing Hmm. Um, he's older than you yes and your other brother's older as well um no i'm in the middle oh you're in the middle Okay. Yes, so older brother. I'm actually in the middle of five. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. So older sister, mm-hmm. older brother, mm-hmm. younger brother, younger sister. I thought, yeah, I guess I, I did know that. Yeah. But the sisters, neither. They didn't get into music either? Um, My older sister, she was the one that actually took piano seriously. Okay. And she can still play piano quite well. Hmm. Um. But uh, that was out of a piano book, and I had no interest in learning <laughs> how to play piano oh, out of a piano book, you yeah. know, um, unless, you know, it had songs that I wanted to learn in there. But Did any of really. them go on to college then? No, I was actually the only one in my family oh, to so go to college. Not only the only one to go on to college, but of course to go on to college for music then, too. For music, and uh, you went to Illinois, right? Uh, yes. Uh, grew up in Wisconsin and decided to go to this small private college in southern Illinois, mm-hmm. Greenville College, which is in Greenville, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I started out in the music program and after a year decided I wanted a social life. <laughs> well, Greenville's a Christian college. Yes. So how well did they take to you playing uh music that wasn't uh particular or or did you have a Christian bend to your music at that time? At that time, yes. Okay. I was very serious about being the next Christian artist. Mm-hmm. Um and that was the whole draw of that college because Charles Clay, which is a famous Christian band. Sure. They f- met their forms there. Um recorded their first album there hmm. and then after they became famous they donated a whole bunch of money to buy high grade studio equipment for mm-hmm. the college to use um but the actual council that they and 24 track tape mm-hmm. machine that they recorded their first album on was still there while I was there 
And so the draw was that uh, you could go there and learn how to become, you know, a recording artist to learn all, uh, how to use all this studio gear. Mm -hmm. So I did take all those courses, but then, like I said, uh, if you wanted to be a serious music major, you had to dedicate some serious time to practicing and having no social life. And I just could not hack that for more than one year. So, uh, well, you're, you know, what, yeah. 19 years old. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's not, I shouldn't say that's not possible. There are many young people who have that kind of drive, but, mm -hmm. um, I would say that's probably not the, uh, the higher percentage. Right. Did you find though that professors or TAs or instructors that were there were helpful to you though in, in, in learning some things about music and oh, how, to, yes. how to craft things for yourself? Yes. Um, yes. Especially the studio recording class that I took. Um, you had to learn how to use all that gear. Mm -hmm. And back then, um, that professor was very keen on us learning what people had to learn in the past before we get to use the more modern um, stuff. So we had to learn reel to reel. We had to learn how to splice tape up sure. and and um, put in, you know, the the white tape that would create silence between. Mm -hmm. songs mm -hmm. all that type of stuff before then we could use any of the digital mm -hmm. um stuff so did you engineer any any um any of your fellow students did you engineer any of their projects mm -hmm. yep and um they engineered mine hmm. and uh I, again uh like i said it was very hard for me to find people to work with mm -hmm. um so I, anytime that I got people to help me out with the project, um, it was probably for about one song and that was it. And it wasn't anything that was for, um, personal use. It was always for a class sure. homework. Mm -hmm. Um, but at that time I was, like I said, I was trying to become the next Christian rock star or whatever. So um, I was writing that type of music and everyone else, even at a Christian college was exploring all the other types of music out there. Hmm. Um, the guy that yelled in, Hey Yanni, mm -hmm. you know, knock it off. He was huge into, um, Beck, hmm. um, Rage Against the Machine. Okay. And so they were exploring all that the devil's music as I called it, you know, at that time, I wouldn't call it that now, but was the college, um, was the college tolerant of that or were they expecting people, even though they were doing that exploring to different music to still continue to, uh, to bring it back around to Christian and faith-based music? Not really. The professor we had for studio recording was very open to everything. Um, in fact, he would, bring in once a month because he had a subscription to Rolling Stones magazine uh, once a month for a class. He would just browse the magazine and bring up interesting points to us that he thought were interesting about other artists. Hmm. Um, and so he was huge into exploring non-Christian sources of music. Um, so 
and that at that time that was you know controversial to me deal that we would be looking into other artists um in fact um if you remember when metallica's um oh, what was the name of the song yeah i can't remember it now that's fine. but it had a very controversial music video to it okay was it um, the um was it one no not one it was uh after that hmm um, I can see it in my head, but I cannot remember the song right now. But it had a lot of religious images in it. Okay. Um, a s- serpent and mm-hmm. stuff. I just cannot remember the name of it. But anyway, for one of our music classes, they brought all of us students into this room with a projector. They played the song. And then they brought in a professor of art and then a professor of history mm-hmm. and they gave their viewpoints of the music video of how there was some historical images in there, some historical art pieces in there. And then they turned it loose on us students to discuss it. Hmm. Um, just, they wanted our opinion and they were trying to broaden our scopes. And at that time I was very much against that again, it wasn't until like my junior and senior year that I started to allow the professors to actually broaden my mind on things. And, and this was when I was still a freshman, sophomore. So again, I was thinking, why are we watching this Metallica video? It's, we should be researching Christian bands or whatever. Um, so the, Okay, let's, let's put a pin in that thought. <laughs> Let me take it back a little bit. Yep. So... You're familiar with Jars of Clay. You're familiar with with uh, with uh, Greenville. Mm-hmm. Religion played a pretty strong part in your in your youth growing yes. up. Yeah. Oh, yes. And so, was your family just a religious family, or were they really involved in the church? Is your dad a pastor or anything? Like yes, that? my dad. My dad's an ordained pastor. Uh, he gave that up. Yeah, I don't remember him ever being a pastor. So, so it was before you... Yes. Okay. But he was very religious to the point that he really did not like any church that we ever attended, it seemed like. So then he would hold church services for our family okay. in our house. He was he was pretty devout, mm-hmm. it sounds like. And the, and the family, as happens sometimes in religious families, kind of fall in with, with what... Dad wanted. Yep. And so how did how does how did he feel about not just you um going off to college and and, and uh showing an interest in secular music, but your brother doing magic too. That's 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 fairly uh auspicious, right? It is, but I mean magic is mostly just illusions that sleight of hands that you have to learn some skill to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so if and, he if he stuck with the card tricks, it was okay. Yes. It, the moment he started doing anything where he wore like a turban or or yeah. had any sort of symbolism with a serpent or sword or something like that, then yeah, that was much. out. Yep. Okay. Yep. So as a kid, then your your experience with music then was what was allowable from your parents. Yes, which wasn't much. Which wasn't much, and you grew up in Wisconsin. Yes. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. That was like near Montello, right? Yes. Okay. And did you grow up in town or in the country? In the country. Were you homeschooled or did you go to school? 
homeschooled up until high school. Okay. Yes. So when you went into high school, did you go, where did you go to high school? Uh, Marcusan. Okay. Marcusan. I'm not terribly familiar. What was your student population? Do you remember? Oh, not that much. I mean, our graduating class was like 90 something. Okay. So then, um, so there you are in a, in a, in a school of say three to 400 kids. Mm-hmm. And, um, what's, what's the industry around there? Is it, is it farming? Farming. Okay. So they might not necessarily have been terribly progressive though either, huh? No. <laughs> okay. No. So it wasn't a big deal that you started high school with kids you didn't know because there was an influx of kids coming in off the farm and stuff like that mm-hmm. at that age. And it also wasn't a big deal that you didn't know a lot of the contemporary music. Right. Because again, they, they weren't really, unless they maybe listened to radio, which I don't even know what is up that way. Mostly country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then you continued to follow this path through high school, mm-hmm. this uh, this this path, this faith based worship based music path. Mm-hmm. First two years of college, you're still doing this, but you're but you're thinking, yeah, I'm gonna really, I'm gonna break through that wall, and create something big, but still in in the parameters of, yeah. And so like um. I'm going to show my my ignorance of Christian music at that time, but like I think U2 was still considered a Christian band at that time, right? Uh, was that was that gone over after the late '80s? Maybe that was gone after the late '80s. Okay, you know, to us back in that day, no, they okay. weren't considered. So, um, Skillet, Skillet was one of them. Yes, Newsboys, Newsboys, and so these guys that were doing. What could be passable lyrics aside mm-hmm. as a as a contemporary thing, yep. you were starting to, to to explore this stuff your first two years of college. Yeah. Well, um I was already exploring that type of music in okay. high school. Um And be- they were still taking a traditional guitars, drums, bass, mm-hmm. you know, uh, approach to music at that time. Yep. So uh, was there anybody that was that was, you know, more uh synth or keyboard laden that you liked at that time in your life at that time yes although i did not know again just like that rob d song i did not know what they were using to make this music um it was a band called mortal okay um it was the first industrial christian band that i ever heard where were they out of um california okay um and i still believe that they're around hmm I mean, I've, I, I call, I do what, uh, every once in a while, I do what I call going down the rabbit hole Mm -hmm. and revisit my past, which is always (laughs) non-productive, but I just, I revisit the music that I used to be into when I was in that era Mm -hmm. of just, you know, Christian music only. Mm -hmm. And I do it mostly just to get a kick out of it to kind of laugh at myself to think that that was the only thing that was allowable in my life. Um, but at that point in your life, if I if I can interrupt and I apologize, at that point in your life, the only person that was withholding from you was you, right? Yeah, um, it was self-imposed mostly because I was already ticking my parents off by listening to the stuff I was listening to because mm-hmm. even my dad thought what contemporary Christian rock was, was still Satan's music. Sure. So, it, 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 
certain time signatures and yeah, all and that type and, of stuff. Yeah, of course. So, um, yeah, uh, the heavy and again the heavy metal music I was listening to Christian bands. You know, it was all about you know the the lyrics were very Christian laden, but mm-hmm. very heavy driving stuff. But again, um, so mortal. Uh-huh. They were a Christian industrial band. Okay. And, uh, you know, comparable to Nine Inch Nails mm-hmm. in the s- same type of sound, except Christian um, lyrics. Sure. So that was the first time I ever heard anything synth-based. Um, and again, they were using samplers, but I did not know that at the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved the sound of it, but I was more interested in the guitars at that time. But your friends, they were, they were already into secular music. Right. In the, probably coming into college that Mm -hmm. way. Yep. I remember, uh, my freshman roommate was trying to convince me that, uh, um, Melancholy, Infinite Sadness by sure. Smashing Pumpkins was the greatest album of all time. And he would play it for me over and over again. When did you start college? Uh, 96. Yeah, that would be about right then. Yep. So he was trying to tell me that. And I'm just like, no, man, that's that's not Christian. I'm not going to listen to it. So yeah, tons of my fellow um, uh, students or students that... Uh, your peers. Yes, my peers were already listening to non-Christian music at that time, and that was what was influencing them. So, do you yeah. think that? Do you think that your staunch um, criticisms of secular music might have played a part in distancing you from from collaborators? You know, I never gave that a thought, but probably, yeah. And, and again, um, probably because they realized that what I was trying to do was dated hmm. <laughs> already, you know, because they're they're already listening to the bands that are already pushing the boundaries. Sure. And I'm still trying to write cheesy love songs. Well, you know, or you know, Wayne Gretzky had said that uh, you don't want to go where the puck is; you want to go where the puck's going to go. Exactly. And so you were, you were trying to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So now here we are. You're you're away. You're gaining a social life. You're getting friends. That's that's and it's, and it's an important growth uh, point for mm-hmm. for anybody really. Right. Um. The those those first couple of years of college are usually pretty tough on any kid because uh, is this the most amount of time you'd ever spent away from your family? Yeah. Yeah, and being uh, as you were homeschooled, you were you yeah. were home a lot. And Greenville is four hundred miles. Did away? they ever come to visit you? Yes. And yes. did they approve of the place? No. <laughs> if, so you just kept you just kept splitting, oh, splitting yes. further and further away. Yeah, uh huh. And I it I did not do it purposely. In oh. fact, it really hurt me to find out that that's why I was doing. Um. But at the same time, I was like, I'm not going to stop this growth. So I, at some point, I had to make a decision whether to stick with it um, and 
alienate myself further from my family or go back. And I just decided I've already gone this far. I'm sticking with it. So. Well, you had felt, it sounds like you had felt that throughout it, you had continued to honor your parents. Yes, I have always tried. And so when did you come to this realization that you needed to be more Matt-centric? I think it started, again, like I said, most of my growth happened my um, junior and senior year of college. And it was very much influenced by the religion courses I was taking because once I dropped my music major, I became a religion major with emphasis in youth ministry at that time. So are we at the point where I'd stuck a pin in, in the timeline? Um, Let's say that we are and pull yeah. that pin now. So it's your junior year. Yeah. You've been introduced to Pink Floyd at some point. Uh, yes. They, I, I actually introduced, I was introduced to them my freshman year. Oh, wow. And I actually tried giving them a good shot, but I found at that time that it just depressed me. Hmm. Well, and it, I, I it's could reasonable. Not, well, and the funny thing is, is it doesn't anymore. But at that time, it just depressed me to the point where, and I was already a very emotional person at that time in my life. Um, and that was the, one of the other things I had to grow out of as well. Hmm. Um, was, it, was, part of the, was part of your upbringing... Um... At a risk of sounding sim- very simplistic about this, but was part of the Christian doctrine in your upbringing? Um, was there some some hope to that? Was it was it a was it a hopeful or was it a more admonishing? It was admonishing, okay. and um, that's kind of why I had to learn some new ways to think about the world in order to grow as a person myself. Because sure. um, one of my professors introduced us to M. Scott Peck. Um, he wrote The Road Less Traveled and many other books. Um, that was Reading those books was a turning point for me in my growth because it opened up me being okay with actually loving myself Hmm. because I had been brought up to believe that you are not to give yourself any importance whatsoever. You're just Um, a tool. Yes. And you're supposed to sacrifice your happiness for everyone else. And, um, self love was a sin. You're supposed to, um, love others only and love God. You know, and yeah, so, um, so then now you're in college, you're starting to see these other viewpoints. Mm-hmm. You're also seeing that some of the people who are there in a role of, um, I don't want to say authority, but, uh, you know, they're taking the role of the professors and they're taking the role of, um, of people whom you are putting your trust in. They're saying that it's okay for you to explore these other things. Yes. And this probably caused quite a conflict for you. Yes. In fact, to the point where I almost transferred to really? a different college. I, I thought I was being influenced in the wrong way by these professors, and I thought I needed a more conservative college to go to that would 
more told the line of what I was taught as a kid mm-hmm. and uh, that comfortable little space, you know, where no growth happens. Sure. You know, so um, again, I had to then decide. It was the summer between my sophomore and junior year. Mm-hmm. Um, I was seriously considering transferring to a different college and I stayed on campus that summer as mm. part of the grounds crew. And I cannot tell you everything that made me change my mind. Um, but for some reason, I just decided, okay, I'm just going to stick here. Mm-hmm. And doing so and making that decision, I, I finally realized that these people are not trying to mislead me. They... I mean, they have my best interests in mind. So why don't I just listen to them and give it a shot? You had three months of continued growth. Yes. You didn't go back home. No. Where you fell you fell back into old habits. Right. You continued to grow over that summer. And is that then when you changed your major from music to uh, no. religious studies? I was already in religious studies and already getting pushed and in fact, that's why I wanted to uh, switch colleges is because the things I was l- learning in religion classes were teaching me to question, hmm. which, you know, you're not supposed to do. You're supposed to have faith in everything and you're not supposed to question anything. And questioning anything is a lack of faith is what I was taught. And, uh, well, I mean... You go to a, any um, liberal arts private college, you're going to learn things that you, it's not going to be reinforced in your church setting. Sure. Which is, you know, the Bible may have been written by men, you know, um, stuff like that. Uh, there's two creation stories in Genesis. Why do they contradict each other? So, I mean, things like that, mm-hmm. you, you, mm-hmm. you start learning that and then you're like, wait a second, I thought this book was infallible and <laughs> why are you teaching me this stuff? And so, oh, and then the other thing was, is that uh, one of my professors had us read a book by a openly gay person who is also a major liberal theologian. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, you serious? You kidding me? You know, being gay at, at that time in my life? No, you know, that's, you're not supposed to be gay and all that. So I couldn't believe he was having us read this book by an openly gay man, you know, who was telling us what to think about the Bible and all that. So that kind of, uh, yeah, made me want to reconsider why I was there. But again, um, you know, I think this is this perfectly sums it up. At some point in your life, what you've been taught and what you experience in life, if that doesn't match up, then you're going to have to reevaluate or just live in ignorance. Hmm. Because you're going to always come up against experiences that do not mesh with what you've been taught. And, um, that's very profound. Yeah, that's very profound. And so that being said, you decided rather than to cocoon yourself, Mm -hmm. um, 
that you would you would just continue on with this growth process. Right. How many years were you in college? Four. You were in there for full four years. Yep. And so you started religious studies your sophomore year then. Mm-hmm. And is that what you what you continued on with for the next yep. next years to follow? That's why I graduated. I have a BS in religious studies with uh, emphasis in youth ministry. And uh, that's what I wanted to be for the rest of my life. Did you feel at that point in your life that you wanted to take some of this new um, eye-opening approach that you had experienced and and bring that to the table now? For music-wise? No, for the youth. Oh, yes. And that that was my huge downfall as a youth minister is because it was so forward thinking that I was on the forefront. Hmm. Um, There is curriculum available now that um, for people that are more on the progressive side of religion, Mm -hmm. um, if that's what they want to teach their youth, there is curriculum available now. Back when I started, it was not. Hmm. It was still... um, well, there there were certain people that were trying to get it into the churches, but mm-hmm. um, that type of thinking was still within academia hmm. um, only. And it wasn't until people like uh, Marcus Borg, um, John Dominic Crossan, I'm trying to think who the other one was, um, John Shelby Spong. <laughs> Re, uh, I read his book maybe a year after I graduated and landed my first job, which mm-hmm. landed me here in Reedsburg, mm-hmm. was uh, taking a job at the United Methodist Church here in town as a youth minister. And I went to one of the United Methodist conferences, and I saw this book by this guy, John Shelby Spong, who's a bishop in New Jersey, I think at the time. And the title of the book was called Why Christianity Must Change or Die. Hmm. How interesting. (laughs) Yes. And I read that book and I'm like, this is exactly what I've been struggling with um, ever since I graduated from college. And I've had all these questions. Um, And it, it was books like that, that were just starting to come out into the public and becoming more acceptable to the public but there was still nothing for geared towards youth ministers to use Mm -hmm. so i ended up having to try to create my own curriculum and Mm -hmm. all that Mm -hmm. and again the forward-thinking people um usually do not mesh well with tradition (laughs) (laughs) and so therefore i I quickly butted heads with a lot of people and uh, learned really quickly that probably working in a church was not going to go over well for me. But yeah, it's a really interesting thing for me because um, I grew up Catholic, as yes, you're aware. Yep. And uh, Lori um, didn't necessarily grow up with religion Mm -hmm. um, in her youth, youth, but then still young enough to be considered a youth, you know, in her late teens, she started to get um, involved with, with the church. And um, it, it's funny because 
it really feels to me like a number of the Protestant religions are way more extreme about things mm-hmm. than the Catholics. Mm-hmm. Yet the um, the common uh, viewpoint among the Protestants is that the Catholics are a bunch of holy rollers and, you know, they're so heavy handed. But in mm-hmm. comparison, and maybe it was just the convenient Catholic that I was as a kid, although I did consider uh, preparatory high school and going on to, to the priesthood. Um it just seems as though to me it's like wow there's so uh it can be so much more judgmental and heavy-handed than what i experienced growing up mm-hmm. from these reformist church mm-hmm. the, the churches i should say and so i found that to be a a, a really weird um oh gosh i don't i don't want to say it's a hypocrisy but I'm going to say it's a hypocrisy. Yeah. It's a very Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't want to say it's a hypocrisy, but it's a hypocrisy. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, I find that so interesting. Um, and so when you started to have this, um, this continued awakening uh-huh. now into your twenties yep. here in Reedsburg, mm-hmm. um, do you start your family then at this point? No, that happened. Let's see. Well, I had my job from 2001 to 2004. Okay. And Abby was born in 2007. Oh. So, yeah, I had been out of that position for three years. So as you you have started to grow in your life and as you're looking back – and you're seeing all of the different resistances that you experienced, the the different reactions that you've gotten. It's really only fueled you to continue pulling away further and further, hasn't it? In a way, yes. And it can get lonely out there in the front like that. Sure, sure um, it can. But I guess one, I mean, I'm still here. So well, I'm, but now let's yeah. take this. Let's take this to your art, okay? Yep. Mm-hmm. Ten thousand people in Reedsburg. Yep. And you're choosing a very cutting edge musical expression. Yeah. And so you mentioned your friend Eben. He's in the area. Yep. I I I I don't know. I, I've met him. I don't know him well enough to be able to know um where he's at as far as uh you know his art is concerned or his music is concerned, but. But you're, you know, you're not playing guitar in, in a in a garage band. You're not uh, adding keys to a, a country band, which right. could get you plays of gigs. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, seven days a week. You're taking again another path. That's <laughs> you know you put it like that, and I never realized that. So. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's there. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm, believe me, I'm not saying don't do it because I, I think that, um, my knowledge of the type of music that you play is very limited. My understanding is your approach to your style of music, um, is, is man, you're in the pocket with this stuff, Mm -hmm. but you're here in Reedsburg. Mm -hmm. Now, the internet is is an amazing place, and getting your—I know that you've had a worldwide response to your music. Yeah, know that you have, and that's mm-hmm. a—that is a huge, uh, a huge thing that should not be underplayed at all. Right. 
And I know that you're here in Reedsburg because you did start your family. And although yep. um, you're a single parent at this point, yes, um, you you have uh, you're an honorable parent, and you want to be there to to help nurture and grow your child. Yep. So I understand all of that, but um, but you you definitely haven't gone an easy route for it. No, <laughs> for any of it. No, I guess not. And uh, yeah, that I, I, you ha- should be proud of that. Yeah. I have to say that, um, um, one of my major life goals in life was to be a parent. I've always known that I wanted to be a parent. So even though, um, the marriage, uh, fell apart, um, I was not going to give up that part of it. So yes, um, I, I had to make the, the decision to stay here in Reedsburg. And for me, it's not really like I was struggling with it. It was like, yeah, of course I'm going to stay here with my daughter because that's the one thing that I've wanted my whole life, uh, was to be a parent. Um, and another thing was to work with music in some capacity. And I did not think it was going to be this genre. Um, again, I, I, I think even when I first met you, I was still playing oh, guitar. Sure. Um, and at that time, I was huge into folk music and Pearl Jam. Um, well, let's look at it this way, too. You maybe were forced out or walked away from what you had built for yourself. Mm-hmm. The path that you had that you had set forth for yourself, you could have probably followed that path elsewhere. Mm-hmm. You could have probably said, okay, well, you know, I'm going to go to a community that might be more uh, open-minded yeah. and, you know, maybe go to the West coast or maybe go to, um, you yeah. know, <laughs> right. But, but you didn't, you, you chose to, and this is before Abby mm-hmm. had come along. You chose to, um, make a place for yourself. Yes. And you've continued with that, which is admirable. Mm-hmm. Um and yes, you know, you've 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 bopped around musically. Mm-hmm. But I, I can say that when you started under the moniker of Torch, which was probably around two thousand and thirteen. Yes. And I can I'll give you a story about that. Sure. After your... Sure, that's fine. You've not let up. Right. And and that's really admirable. Even when there hasn't been anybody there hasn't been anybody again just like when you were a kid where you could just say hey you know i'm thinking about this they can't speak that language with you right across a table with a cup of coffee right you know yeah and that is that is hugely tough um but yeah uh so the story is is that the way i got introduced into this type of music and I, I mentioned that I had written off electronic music completely because I just didn't like what I was hearing. Um, a friend of mine who I used to work with over at Land's End sent me a link to this song by a band called Nero. And I shouldn't really call them a band. They're just two guys that produce. Um, and it was the song Promises off of their first album. The music video shows them playing this 
circular table that's just lighted up blue and they have these squares that generate different sounds and at that time i thought that they were that's how they were performing the song Mm -hmm. you know i know now that 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 was just all for show but this is an actual instrument if you look it up it's called a react table Mm -hmm. it's like ten thousand dollars very expensive but it it's exactly that you have these squares that generate certain sounds and you can manipulate these squares by turning them or placing them somewhere else or placing them in the path of another square or something Mm -hmm. and you make music with it well well anyway i saw that video and i'm like whoa first off i've never heard a song like this in my life Second off, what are those guys doing? I have to know. I have to know what they're doing. How are they doing that? How did they make this music? And so that's what kicked it all off. And that was somewhere, I would say, mid-2013. Mm-hmm. And it was July 4th, Independence Day of all days, that I decided to try to write my first electronic music piece in the style of Nero. Sure. You know, I, that's all I had to go off of at that time um, was that band and, or that group. And uh, so I tried to write a song in the same style. Going back and listening to it now, because I still have it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's up on my SoundCloud page as well. Um, it's horrendous, but <laughs> everybody has to start somewhere, I of course, guess. Of and again, I had no clue how to write this music um, and knew nothing about it. Since then, I have delved down that rabbit hole very deeply and passionately that I know a whole lot now. Mm-hmm. And I think like, I don't know, maybe three months later is when I gave my first torch performance at sure. the old kettle and cup. Sure. And I was lucky enough, yeah, fortunate enough that you and Lori were open to that and allowing me to come in and experiment, even though even listening to some of those songs now, I realized that they were less than stellar production wise, but you know, Again, everybody has to start somewhere, you know, and I had, I had nothing to go off of. You've been able to perform some of your material, whether it's through the Make Music Day in mm-hmm. Reedsburg or the Arts Link Art Crawl and a few mm-hmm. other things that have been um, brewing kind of under the surface here in Reedsburg. Yep. There's like this, this whole arts movement that's happening within the last couple of years Mm -hmm. and you're a part of that yep and that maybe is the reward of your tenacity yeah sticking around in the area it's kind of come back around for you Mm -hmm. and where do you see yourself as far as in music like now and in the future what do you see your what's your role what what do you see you know, not just for, for you, but for Torch. What, what, what's your goal and what's your role here? I still want to try to make an album. Um, Don't you have to choose a point? Not a complete stop, but a point to say, okay, this is a body of work. Mm-hmm. Maybe not all the way back to the beginning of Torch. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've put together 
a solid 45 minutes worth of 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 good stuff here mm-hmm. you know and i'm not saying don't evolve i think all music should and all musicians and artists should but you know take that point and say okay this is it i'm promoting this well now you're you've put together this lo-fi set for this performance right but i'm sure that you could see that there are aspects of that or facets to it that you can that you can bring into your regular stuff. Right. Now you're growing even further, but also growing away from what you've done. Mm-hmm. When do you think you're going to be at that point? You want to get an album out. Yeah. When do you think that might happen? I actually recently gave myself the goal uh, within four months. Hmm. You know, I'd have four songs ready to go, and that's kind of slipping away. Um, especially after this last weekend, it's kind of got me questioning where do I want to focus my attention? So why? I mean, I understand the art, the art crawl was this last weekend, but, but what of that made you, um, has given you this, this reconsideration? Because that stuff was easy for me to write. Okay. Um, the stuff that I've been trying to write, it's so difficult for some reason. There's sometimes where I write a song and completely done. Like, uh, I can't remember if I have it up on my SoundCloud right now, but there's a song that I wrote within the last year. It's called Day's End. It's in the genre of progressive house, which mm-hmm. is more of... They most most if you go on YouTube and look up Progressive House, most of the shows are called Days Like Nights or Sunset Melodies. Okay. It's more that it it's um still got the four on the floor kick, but mm-hmm. it's more chill. Okay. You're supposed to sit back with your corona on a beach at sunset and listen to this type of music. Or you're supposed to be on a boat in Ibiza with your other rich friends sure. listening to this type of music. Sure. Um, so it's very snobby for one. And two, it's, it's just not as aggressive as most electronic music. But I wrote this song and I called it Day's End, you know, very pretentious, just like the rest of the genre, mm-hmm. you know, trying to think of sunsets and all that. And uh, production wise, it's the best I've been. Hmm. Um. And I've even had people like in groups. I, I, cause the hugest hurdle for me with Torch has been getting that finalized product to sound good across the board, no matter what you listen to it on, hmm. like either on your phone or on headphones or on a huge speaker system. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always been a struggle for me to get that finalized product to sound polished mm-hmm. and radio ready or whatever you want to call it. And even though I, uh, I struggle now with writer's block, um, I know that whenever I go to go make something, it's going to sound really polished at the end. Hmm. Um, so I'm glad for that, but mm-hmm. right now, I, and and again, the writer's block is why I went into lo-fi, sure. you know, because for some reason, that's very easy for me to write. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's kind of gratifying to say, okay, I'm I'm still a musician. 
You know, sure, I sure. still have something going for me, even though this other part is not. So um, to get back, okay, so Day's End was that first song that was really a breakthrough for me. And mm-hmm. um, actually, when you had me and Abby do the um, daddy-daughter dance. Um, yeah, for the Safe Harbor Homeless Shelter. Yep, when February. Yep. Uh, we, uh, I should say Abby DJed it because mm-hmm. it was actually her. I just provided the sound. And anyway, I, to test the sound, I put on that song, Day's End, mm-hmm. and I was like almost in tears, because it's like, finally, finally, this sounds like it was done by a professional. And I couldn't believe it. There was um, no muddiness to it at all, which mm-hmm. was usually the huge problem that I had, was everything just sounded so muddy and um yeah no clarity whatsoever so hearing that on those speakers in a huge gym even with the bad reverberation and all that it still sounded good i was like finally there's very (laughs) few things that can compare to hearing it loud Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> it's really true. Yes. I mean, I know that there are a lot of people who who uh, believe, and 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 there's some truth to this that you should, you know, play it through a car stereo because that's where most people listen and, and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And and oftentimes, especially now, uh, car audio equipment is is fairly decent representation of music. Mm-hmm. It's not the dogs it used to be, and you don't have to spend a lot of money to make it sound decent. Right, but there is uh there is something about hearing it loud in a big room that that raises the hair on your arms mm-hmm. you know especially mm-hmm. if it's good yes yes yeah especially if it's good how can they find you on soundcloud um it's soundcloud.com backslash torch music five and the uh, number five yeah the number five yeah um do you use soundcloud as kind of a uh, a whiteboard do you put things out there so that you can you know um parking lot them for a little while give them an opportunity to kind of breathe mm-hmm. in your head and then go back to them or have other people listen to them and yeah um it's both um i like to get feedback from people um and just to show people i'm still here you know mm-hmm. i'm still trying to make music so i'll post something that um not necessarily that I'm trying to get signed to a label, mm-hmm. but just to show them I'm still working at this. Sure. Um, so there's a hodgepodge of stuff on there. There's stuff that fits under the house genre. There's mm-hmm. stuff that fits under the lo-fi beat genre. Um, there's stuff that fits under what's called drum and bass, which is that fast 174 BPM stuff. Well, there's nothing wrong with... Yep. Um spreading yourself out there and seeing what gets the response. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much what I like to do. And just because I, I love there's, there's very few sub genres of electronic music that I don't love. Um, so I love exploring every aspect of it and trying to learn how to write in that type of style. What are you um, going to do when, when Abby's musical tastes, uh, um, stray from yours. Oh, they already have. Have they? <laughs> yes. Uh, in fact, I very uh kiddingly joke her that um, like 
Abby, I've taught you better than this. You know, <laughs> when she puts on her Imagine Dragons or sure. 21 Pilots, you know, so I, I kid her about that. But I mean, I don't care. I mean, I was very limited on what I could listen to as a kid. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to limit her, her, you know, and she does have some really good taste. I mean, she loves Queen right now. Mm-hmm. I cannot fault her for that one bit. Um, and she does love a lot of electronic music. And she even writes her own. Sure. Um, she uses a program called Groovebox that comes on. You can get it on iPad for free mm-hmm. with uh, in-app purchases. Um, and she has a completely different way of going about it than I do. She has the same kind of setup that I do in my programs where you have a piano roll and mm-hmm. a piano roll is, is like uh, the old player pianos that had a piece of paper with dots in it. Sure. Um, most music writing software has the same concept where you have a piano roll and you mouse in the length, um, the velocity, all that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. She, what she'll do is she'll just randomly put stuff in there. And it somehow sounds really great. <laughs> so, um, and then that's what she uses uh, as the foundation for what she she builds on. Yes. Wow. Yes, and she's really good at it. I liken her to kind of like the more experimental Radiohead stuff that was found on the Kid A album, mm-hmm. and uh, a guy named Apex Twin. Um. So, she, yeah, very. I profound for me. And I, I tell her I would not be able to do that if I tried. (laughs) So I'm very proud of her in that aspect that, yeah. Um, but we both know that I can't teach her and she can't teach me. So that happens. I, I am not one for instruction for anybody, but at the very least, my own kids were always the, uh, Mm -hmm. the biggest challenge. And I, I think that's because you have to be polite with other kids. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Yes. So, so yeah. I have one more burning question for you. Okay. Which is, um, you may recall in uh, 2000 and, uh, it might have been around 2013, um, I had received some home-brewed kombucha from Xavier <laughs> yes. in Wisconsin Dells. <laughs> yes. To which um, it didn't sit well with you. No, it did not. You had a bit of a, oh, what what would be the best term for the experience that you had with that home-brewed kombucha? It felt like euphoria, really, and kind of gave me a little bit of anxiety because I do not like the feeling of my body being out of control. Unless it's like subtle, like when you go out drinking, um, unless you're like downing them right away, um, the alcohol gradually takes over. Mm -hmm. That felt like it was like instantaneous with the kubacha. Well, you uh, experienced something that that you likened to some sort of a psychedelic experience with it. Mm -hmm. It kind of was. So the burning question for me is... (laughs) Have you have you had any kombucha since then? Yes. Did you experience the same thing? No, because that was the you old know, store bought stuff. <laughs> uh huh. Uh-huh. 
So I don't know what it was about that particular brew, but you know Xavier's still in the area. Yes, I know. He was actually uh, thirty was at the Arts Link Arts thirty call. feet away from us, blowing fire out of his mouth. <laughs> so that must have been cool. Yes. Um, so yeah, I don't think that he knows about that experience. Probably not. You'll have to share it with him sometime. Yeah, I think I'm still friends with him on Facebook but yeah he doesn't he doesn't get on there all that often but he no. would probably be interested to know I mean there you know because of the fermentation process there is a, a bit of an alcohol mm-hmm. content to it mm-hmm. you know um unless that's been you know unless it's been removed or they're using something that's that's not uh you know going to produce the same amount of alcohol content but you know at home it's probably some sort of like distilling process I mean I don't know how it's made I'll be honest with you it's it's always eluded me, but um, but I've I've wondered and have always meant to ask you about that about that experience and if that experience has jaded your dabbling with the with the with the stuff since then. No, not really. <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean your white zombies that you used to make at uh, Kellen Cup, they, those had some yeah. interesting effects on me to the point where there's you actually took a picture of me napping. Yeah. After downing one of those. I think uh you know, you're not the only one. Uh Jacob McCluskey, uh, he he fell asleep after white zombies there. Uh-huh. It just hits a level and then bam, you crash. Yeah. But then there was one night I drank one of those and I was up the whole night. In fact, I made like an apple pie at one o'clock in the morning because I was still <laughs> up from one of those. So I mean it's like you could go one way with that drink, or you could go the other way, but that does not deter me from ever trying a white zombie again. You know, so I might. <laughs> but home homemade kombucha, home, on the other hand, you're... I yeah, I I would still try it. I'd maybe take my time sipping it. You know? Well, we did kind of we did kind of crack into that quickly, didn't we? Yes. <laughs> so. Um, I don't remember experiencing things the same way. And now, like you had mentioned, I also get it from the store, and it's it's kind of like drinking apple cider vinegar. Really, it's not, pretty much, yeah, yeah. It's 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 not really, except a lot fizzier, you mm-hmm. know, than than before. But um, but yeah, it was uh some some crazy times back then. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> um, I appreciate you coming down here, Matt. I appreciate you. I really do. I Thank think that you. you're that you're awesome. I think and that I appreciate you and Lori for giving me the opportunity to explore Torch and all that. Oh, no um, problem. No problem. Yeah, you guys have been one of my cheerleaders. Um, we have, well, no stronger cheerleader than Abby. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll always come in under that. All right. Well, thanks, Matt. I yep. appreciate it. Thank you, Alex. Did you hear that? I went. I did. Is that straight? Because it looks crooked. That looks better. It's straight. Straight. Like a straight. Talk like your normal voice so I can get your. I can take the mat level out. The mat level? What's the mat level? Well, he speaks kind of quietly. Oh, <laughs> that level. I didn't know what you meant. Yeah. He speaks quiet? Well, I think that, okay, in my interview with Matt Nygren, he was being, he and I both approached it very professionally. 
So there wasn't a lot of talk about things that I knew about him. I spoke to him more as though I was interviewing somebody I did not know. Am I louder than Matt Nigren? No. Is that better? Well, now you're now you're whispering. I know. I just want to make sure that I'm not hearing myself breathe. Breathe through your nose. <laughs> Have you? I've known you for a long time now. Have you? Do you always breathe through your mouth? No, I breathe through. I'm really getting a lot of breathiness. I know. From here. What is the deal? I don't know. Well, I don't want you to hold your breath. You'll have a panic attack. No, I'm breathing over here, and then I'll have to talk like this, and then I'll go like this, and then I'll talk like this, and then I'll go like this. <laughs> I don't think that's going to work for you. <laughs> All right, let's get serious. Okay, so I had an interview with the one and only Matt Nigren. There is only one Matt Nigren. There might be other Matt Nigrens in this world. He's the only one we know, though. I don't think there is any other Matt Nigren like Matt Nigren. Well, this is true. Another Matt Nigren like the Matt Nigren that we know. There just can't be. There's not enough room in this world for another Matt Nigren. I'll tell you what else there's not enough room for in this world. That's another torch. Nope. There can only be one torch. There can only be one. Now, wait a minute. Whose torch? You know who Torch is. I know who Torch is, well, but anybody, do the people listening know who Torch is? Well, they know who he is now, because at this point, the interview is over. Oh, we're doing the closing. Yeah, we're doing the closing. Got it. So they know, if, unless they just skip to the closing, which some people really like this part, you and I part. <laughs> really? I yeah. Do you have statistics to prove that? Well, not particularly, but I think I think they do. Because we do this little podcast in Zombie Watch Studios, which you now know is in the basement of our house. Mm -hmm. um, we're in a small town, mm -hmm. and uh, today I ran into Mr. Nigren and his daughter Abby at you the did. grocery store. Awesome. Yeah. Did so, you mention the podcast? I did not. We only spoke briefly, but I'm just mentioning that because for those that listen that are maybe not from this area... It's a small town. It's a small area. So these interviews are with people we know, but we get to know them a little better through the podcast. I think that there's a lot of people who don't realize how small the group of Reedsburg residents are who are pushing for a bigger art presence in this town and in this area. It's a very small group of people. We were a lot more involved with it when we had the coffee shop. We're not as involved with it any longer. However, we do have our finger on the pulse of what's happening as far as the arts in Reedsburg is concerned. Matt, however, is one who is quite involved. So even when he's not performing as Torch, he is supporting the various things that are happening in the town, which is pretty cool for him to do. He was always supportive of us at the coffee shop. It doesn't surprise me that he continues to be supportive of the things happening in our community. I think part of that's because he has a daughter who lives and goes to school and does things in the community, and he just wants to make sure that she has those opportunities. This is true. And we did give him his start. 
I don't want to be so... No, he mentions it himself. Well, that's fine, but I don't want to be too... Mm-hmm. Oh, no. We did. <laughs> we gave him his start. Anybody listening to this anywhere around the world, Torch started at Catalan Cup. Where was his first performance? Catalan Cup. Mm-hmm. We took out all the lights. Yeah, that's right. We had all kinds of crazy laser lights happening. Yeah, I forgot about that. And super loud EDM music. We had a few people that showed up for that, and and I believe that they enjoyed it. I like to think that they did. I think they did. But one thing that we did not discuss, we did not discuss his book. (gasps) You didn't? No. How could you not do that? That was a major part of his life. It was a major part of his life to that point, I believe. Since then, this has become, first off, Torch has become a very dominant part of who he is and what he does. Now, he's always wanted to be a parent. He addresses that. And he is a single parent. He has 50% custody of his daughter. So in his home, it's just him and Abby, his daughter. And that is something that does and should take a lot of his, his efforts and a lot of his attention. Outside of that, and of course working a regular day job, as a lot of artists and musicians do in a small town such as this one, outside of those things, he's all about the torch. And so we really did not discuss a lot of his other outside adventures. Now he's available on Facebook and I think he's got an Instagram account and he's got a SoundCloud account, which he mentions. So there's ways to contact or follow Matt as far as what he is doing on a regular basis. But I think that his authoring the book, Love, A New Teaching on Love, is something that he achieved and has moved on from. Hmm. He does quote from his book on occasion on Facebook, but not as often as he is posting about his music career. Mm-hmm. So I thought I would take a, a moment now to talk about that, about his book. You read the book. Mm-hmm. It's an easy book to read. It's not too long. He gets to the point of what he is trying to discuss in the book. There's not a lot of fluff or extra words that don't need to be there. I think it's a good book for especially young people, I think, just entering into a relationship, whether it's a romantic relationship or a friendship or even with your own family members. I think it is helpful because it allows you to understand that you don't need to be taken advantage of. You don't need to enable. You don't need to allow somebody to be abusive. And really, even outside of relationships, it helps you learn to love yourself. How would you say it is a new teaching on love? I really don't read a lot of I would categorize this maybe as a self-help book. I don't know if Matt would agree with that. I don't read a lot of those because usually they're frustrating to me. 
I didn't find his book frustrating, but some can be. So I can't say if it is a new teaching. I think for him, it was there were some new revelations and he put them down in into words and pages and made a book. I urge people to contact Matt directly and get a copy of the book. I believe there are still some available. He's also done a audiobook format on YouTube as well. In one of the upcoming podcasts, you're going to have an interview with Jaco. Yes. Are you excited about that? Of course. Anytime I get to sit down with Jake and have a discussion is a good day. Do you know what you're going to ask him in your interview? I have some questions in mind. You do. However, I think that this might be a good time to get the audience involved a little bit. Uh, I don't know about that. I think it would be a good time. And I think that I would like for people who have questions about or for Jake to submit those questions to our Facebook page. And I may use some of those questions. Can they be questions about anything? Sure, but that doesn't mean I'm going to use it. <laughs> I get to be in control of this interview, so go ahead and ask away. Doesn't mean that I will use your question, or I may revise your question. Hmm. So if it's a question about his hair? He may not give up those secrets. Oh. If it's a question about his clothes? He might give up some of those secrets. If it's a question about his shoes? That's probably really secret. Well, I think that's a terrific idea. So we'll put it out on the Facebook page that you are going to do an interview with Jaco sometime over this summer or as summer wraps up. Probably more toward the end of summer just because you guys are so busy still with gigs. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to overload him or our schedule sure. in trying to do that interview. Sure. And if anybody out there has a question for Jaco specifically, they can send a private message to the Kettle and Cup page and you'll be collecting questions. We could put that out right away mm -hmm. and you can start collecting questions from now until when we actually conduct the interview. Well, you conduct the interview. I'm not having any part in it. I know. I'm just, why do you get so excited by that? I'll have to hear it because I'm going to edit it. <laughs> well, I'm excited because I'm probably going to learn some things about Jake, and he won't be as much of a mystery. So we'll put that out on the Kettle and Cup Facebook page. I think that that might be a new trend for us, too. Yeah. Not just with Jake, but this the start will be with Jake. And then as we do other interviews, maybe we can put that out there. That's not a bad idea. That's not a bad idea at all. I do have some other ideas pertaining to the subject matter of the podcast. Kind of breaking away from the interview format, and I'm thinking about doing a bit of a roundtable discussion on some topics. That might happen as the year goes on. Some not very heavy topics things about pop culture or, again, travel or a few other subjects which might be considered a little bit more light than doing a heavy-duty, long, 
format interview? Political. Maybe only lightly political. <laughs> so as those are beginning to formulate, they'll they'll come out. They'll be not specifically kettling cup podcasts, but we will have them released under our podcast umbrella. And those again might be just a little bit more lighthearted and fun than some of the subjects that we talk about in our interviews. So be on the lookout for that as well. We have a busy year ahead of us. Yes, busy but fun. It's always fun. Yes. So until next time, this is Alex. And this is Lori. Thank you for listening to the podcast, and we'll be back real soon. Sounds great. 